0: Only Three Lads is a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast family, home to some of the best music podcasts on the planet. Visit PantheonPodcast.com to discover more. And if you like what we do on O3L, we kindly ask you to please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the show on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on right now. It really helps us more than you know.
1: Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. I'm in a period of emotional people. I tell all the, oh, I don't care crap.
0: You're about to listen to our special bonus episode, Learn How to Learn, featuring our full conversation with DC, the Brain Supreme from Tag Team. If you haven't already, check out our main episode where we discuss our top five rap and hip-hop albums from the O3L era. But now, sit back, relax, and enjoy our great conversation with DC, the Brain Supreme. only three lads
3: presents learn how to learn in conversation with dc the brain supreme welcome to another episode of the only three lads podcast where we take a look at the golden age of alternative music and this week we're doing something a little bit different i am uncle greg of course we have the rockter We have Brett Varga with us this week. Also,
0: as always. Hello, party people. Party people. Party people. (laughs) (laughs) I got to tell you, I am so, so excited for this week. So we promised last week an O3L like no other and betcha by golly, wow, that is exactly what you're going to get this week. Joining us this week, we have a hip hop legend who, with his musical partner, Steve Roland, made up tag team, the duo responsible for one of the most enduring Party starters of all time. Of course, whoop, there it is. Admit it, you know every whoop, you know every chakalaka. But not only that, but Tag Team is truly back again as the surprise comeback story of 2021 with their Geico commercial. You know it's your favorite. Scoop, there it is. So it is our pleasure to welcome from Tag Team DC, the Brain Supreme, to Only Three Lads. Yay! Welcome.
2: <laughs> how y'all doing this morning or this afternoon oh, or this evening? It's, Whatever it's it morning is. here. We're on the West Coast, so yeah, 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 that yeah, yeah. yeah. Here, right? It's morning for me all yeah. the time. It feels like <laughs> <I'm> running around <laughs> well, here so tired. Yeah. The first question is: How surreal has this past year been for you? It's funny because I kind of take issue with comeback because Sorry. this is not that story. And I don't take issue with it in a bad way. I just, take, I just have to set the record straight because we have been grinding and putting in work for 28 years. And we've been able to sustain a very nice lifestyle on one record. And that takes effort, right? To me, this is a story of steadfastness, not quitting, overcoming, tenaciousness, and, you know, just learning. And taking advantage of every little morsel that comes your way. Not expecting people to do things for you, but creating your own opportunities to thrive. Right? Right. Now, am I happy box. that it happened last year? Of course. But <laughs> there are things that led to that that if I don't do them, it probably doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right. And I and think. I can say that because that's how I really feel. You know, or or it happens, but not the way that it did. And DC, because you were already in the game. I mean, we've been doing shows the whole time. Every year there's a commercial. There's Walmart, there's, I mean, I have a list of commercials that the song has been in. So every time that pops up, that just extends it even more. Or every movie that it's in, that just extends it even more. And for me, the day I knew that we had a forever hit record and the record would be Forever Evergreen was I'm sitting in a movie theater and I'm looking at Will Ferrell dance on a table. To whom There it is, an elf, right? Wow. And it was bittersweet because half of me was pissed off because nobody told me because we were in the middle of a legal battle that lasted 20 years. And I had to find out that way. But the other half, I don't deal with the glass half empty. I deal with the glass half full. And for me, the glass half full is That's a forever hit record because it's a hit movie with our song in it that will be played every year over and over and over and over again forever. So therefore, it is not up to anyone else to get me my money. It is up to me. That's how we did it. That's how I do it. That's like, okay, how do you do that? Well, you better learn something. You better learn how to be your own publicist. You better learn how to be your own booking agent. You better learn how to be everything you need to be. Take advantage of something you've been blessed with. And that's what we did. So that's why I have to explain that, no, this story was fraught with landmines of trauma, right? But those landmines are opportunities because those are opportunities for me to say, this will never happen to me again, right? If I can help it, it's from an educational standpoint of learning why it happened and never letting it happen again or learning why I'm deficient And never being deficient at that thing again. So for me, it all boils down to hustle. And one of my phrases I coined, learn how to learn. And that's what I've done, right? And I've done that for all my life. And that is why I'm successful. And that is why I will continue to be successful. Because you really haven't seen anything yet compared to what I'm about to do.
0: Did you know right away that you had a hit on your hands?
2: Hell yeah. Not when I wrote it. Let me take you back to the beginning, real quick. I met Steve in high school, 11th grade. Both our last names began with a G, so we sat together in homeroom, right? So that's how it became friends. Steve had a band that would play in the quad during lunch hour sometimes, and I had to be in that band. So I begged him for months to be in that band. It was like, nah, get away from me, kid, right? <laughs> and then I worked in the truancy office passing out slips, and there's the choir was down the hall, and I used to hear that music, and I wanted to sing. For some reason, that choir got to me musically. Also, that 11th grade year, I went to my first high school dance where I first saw two turntables, a mixer, and a DJ scratching records, and I had to be a DJ. And then I became masterful at all three because I got in a band, I got in a choir, and I learned how to DJ. And that was the trajectory that my life was set upon. And I got good at it, and I went to college, rocked college, got better at DJing in college, started making uh, records because I got a taskam four track. For those who don't know what a four track is, it is an apparatus that holds, it's it's almost like having a box with garage band in it. And you got four (laughs) tracks to make a song, right? And you use a cassette tape, which is uh, this little plastic apparatus that you put in a box that plays music. And if you break it, then you gotta use a pencil to Fix it. it, it. You fix it and then use tape, right? Like, I have to explain that. (laughs) Right? So, (laughs) during this time, Steven moved to Atlanta to go to the Art Institute, and I came down here and visited him, and I knew that day that I was going to move to Atlanta. So, after I finished school, packed up everything, moved to Atlanta. I started working at this club called Magic City, and I ended up being the head DJ because I thought that Atlanta DJs would be way better than me when I didn't understand that California DJs were way better than Atlanta DJs. So I came and took over and I flourished. We partied. I get to test my own songs. I get to do all these things. And I realized that we were never going to get out of the southeast because back then it was only two hubs for record companies, which was L.A. and New York. And we were down south, but you can't get out of down south unless you make booty shake or bass music. So I went to Steve. I was like, hey, man, we got to make a tempo record. He was like, man, I love bass, but it's hard for me to make that stuff. I was like, no, there's a way we can do it. I said, don't think bass music has. They do it. Do it your way and channel the essence of hip-hop. Because to me, the essence of hip-hop starts with Planet Rock, right? Absolutely. I know that there was Rapper's Delight and all the stuff before that, but Planet Rock started the B-boy generation. Started breakdancing. Started all the dance stuff, right? Because Planet Rock could be played across genres, right? So that's why I felt that just do it like that or, or or channel that. Egyptian Lover on the West Coast was like that. Mm-hmm. Dr. Drayden was like that. That's how hip hop started in, in L.A. You know what I mean? It was all up-tempo hey, stuff because they used to go yeah. to the skating rinks. And people would love to skate to the up-tempo stuff. And then you had the freestyle movement in Miami. You had the freestyle movement in the Bay Area. And yep. I know this because when I was a DJ, in Sacramento, I ordered records from all over the country. So I got all the white labels from New York and all the boroughs. I got all the white labels from LA. I got all the freestyle stuff from, from Florida and the Bay Area. So I'm well-versed at what's going on in the country. Steve bought me the beat. I was working on a record called Won't there it is. And it was amongst many records that I was working on. You know, songs that I was writing. You know, we made the record. People think it was this big Manhattan project. You know, we had lab coats on and you know, using a whiteboard <laughs> and coming up with theorems and all kind of crap when it was just about men chasing beautiful women on a Friday night. Hey, classic formula. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, and, and, and it's funny because that is the same story that, that goes across blues, rock and roll, country, soul music, all of the same. Right, it's the narrative. Yeah. We finished the record on, I think it was on a Thursday in 1992 and I go to work and I pop it in. And to this day, it is one of the biggest, it is the biggest response on any record that I've ever played, and I've been DJing for 30 years. right? So fast forward, I played it again later on because I had stopped playing it because of my hubris. I thought every record was gonna be a hit record. So I kind of shelved it. And I played it again because this girl wanted to hear it. And one of the record reps was in the audience because back then, it was only two hubs, right? But then they had regions that they would service. So Atlanta was a big region, or the Southeast region, so Atlanta was the hub for, it was the sub hub, and all the reps would service radio, they would service uh, the record pools, and they would service the DJs. So I played it again, and one of my record reps, Alan Cole, was in the house, and he was like, what is that? And I was like, hey man, that's my new record. He was like, man, give me that, give it here, man. I'm going to New York this week, I gotta let them hear this. And he went to New York, and two days later I get a call from Columbia Records, and I'm like, this could work for every record company. So now, yeah. now I'm licking my chops, right? And I give it to everybody, but everybody's dragging their feet. We love it, but we don't know what to do. We wanna develop you for six months to a year. And I was like, I ain't got time for that. I got a hit record. <laughs> I'm Let's telling to you, that, I gotta man. hit record. You know we got a hit record. <laughs> Drop a single and then we do the rest later, right? Yeah. And nobody bit, and I almost gave up. And this young lady, Named Lisa McCall worked for Mercury Records said, you need to talk to Al Bell. He put out Daisy Dukes last year, and it went gold. And I was like, really? For those who don't know who Al Bell is, in the beginning of Soul Music, there were three record companies. The three original. It's uh, Philly International, Motown, Stax Records. Al Bell yeah. on Stax Records. And I called him. He called me back in two weeks. And it was like, Mr. Glenn. And I was like, Mr. Bell, let me tell you something. I got a hit record. I done tested. I'm in the hottest club in the country. Everybody loves it down here. You have got to sign us. And he was like, okay. I was like, nah, 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 nah. don't play with me. You ain't even heard the record. <laughs> and I'll never forget these words he said to me. He said, brother, I don't have to hear the record. I hear it in your spirit. Let's agree to agree and get this thing moving. I gave my two weeks to Magic City. Signed a messed up record contract, and in a <laughs> month know. and a half, we all do. We were do. platinum, and the rest is history. That's what I love about the story:
3: is that you basically put in your two weeks' notice, and then forty-five days later, your life was completely changed. And that can happen for anybody. But I really love this story. I've heard it before, and um, but that is so cool. A month and a half later, your life was
2: changed, and you were making your dreams happen because you're making your own luck. Hey, and you know, we were a ten-year Overnight success.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. DC, I work
3: in radio, and that's what you hear all the time. It's like, uh, wow, you've been doing this for 10 years, but where did
2: you come from? I've always been grinding. You know, it's just the way it works. Because we had a legendary record company, guy who got his resurrection because of it, that's what helped. But then other factors came into play too, but you know, as far as the record contract goes, everybody signs their first record contract and it's not ideal, right? Mm -hmm. And I've never been bitter about that. I always, you know, it irritates me sometimes and sometimes it stings. But if you spend your life reacting to something that you had no control over, really, you just are not going to get to the next best thing. That's one of those trauma events where I said, you know what, this will never happen to me again. And that's when I became a paralegal. Right. It was like, you know what, the record company went bankrupt. Another record company bought it out of tax bankruptcy but wasn't supposed to take the publishing. So now you got this big legal battle. And I'm like, where's our money? Well, we got money, but where's all of our money, mm-hmm, right? Right. And now we're pawns in the middle because they're playing both of us off each other. And I said, okay. I could have looked at the glass half empty and been like, you know what? I hate them and could have just became old and bitter. Yeah. yeah. Oh, but I knew I would have my day in court. So I said, let me learn the language and legal speak so I can understand what the hell they talking about. <laughs> Let me learn what this is. And I basically became a paralegal. Yeah, every time we would go to LA, we'd get a big stack of papers and it would just be a pile of everything. Memorandums, uh, contracts, uh, articles, everything. I'm like, what am I gonna do with this? And I just dump it in a FedEx box, send it to my mom. She put it in a trunk in the basement. And I'm so glad I did that because that has served me more than anything in life, right? Because that is a timeline of everything that happened from day one. And it's all documented, right? So I put all this stuff together, which is discovery. But then I learned what motions were. I learned what they were trying to do to each other. I learned what the, what, the, what, the, what the big argument was about. And I just prepared. And 15 years later, you know, when it's kind of over and one record company loses, like, well, if I can't have it, nobody can have it. No, now I gotta fight, right? You pick your battles in life. And because I did all that preparation, I found a great lawyer, Melinda. Her name is Melinda. And she just uh, I gave her that big box of discovery and she just ripped her mouth out because (laughs) took him to the woodshed preparation. Everything for me is about preparation and everything I've ever done in life. Right. But preparation can also be called hustle. Preparation can also be called learn how to learn. Right. Because around that time, I started, you know, getting into the self-help thing. Robert T. Kiyosaki, you know, Rich Dad, Poor Dad and Anthony Robbins and everything I could get my hands on, because it's always like that. It's almost like with the diet books. You know what I mean? You just jump from one to one. But if you could take away one thing from everything, it has made your life better. So that's what I did. And it has worked so well for me because it has spawned creativity that I've always had. So instead of doing everything that everybody else does, I do things and invent different ways just because I think differently. I became a licensed commodities broker because I didn't want anybody, I had to learn, how, I had to learn finance because I didn't want anybody to beat me up on money no more. Mm. Why you do that? Well, I had to learn about it, So, but I like commodities. I didn't like stocks, I like commodities. So I became a licensed commodities broker, passed the Series 3 test, and now I'm a true licensed commodities broker. Man. I can trade. You truly are the brain supreme. It's always been like that. But I think different, right? Once again, it goes learn how to learn, right? Like, you know, there are tactics. Okay, if I'm trying to take a test, if I'm taking a real estate test, right? Well, how many times can I fail it? That's the first question I ask. You can fail it three times. All right, well, let me go on and take the first test and just just fail it on purpose. yeah, So I can yeah. know what's on the test or at least be guided in the right direction. And that's what I did with commodities. And it was done. And then I like commodities so much, I was thinking, well, maybe I could do a hedge fund because I know all the athletes. I know all the stars because me being at Magic City, everybody used to come to me. Everybody got to Atlanta at the same time. Babyface, L.A. Reed, Bobby Brown, you know what I mean? Deion Sanders, Dominique was there. Like These was all my friends. And then just yeah. everybody else who came after that. So if I'm a licensed commodities broker and I can start a hedge fund and I can get these investors, well, shoot, let me start making some calls. But I don't know what a hedge fund is, so I start making some calls. And um, I get this one meeting in Las Vegas and I'm in this boardroom and they're like, Hey, good to meet you. They're all fanning, right? And I'm like, Well, why should I let y'all, you know, manage my hedge fund? And they're just like, Oh, DC, because we can get you returns like this and boom the boom boom and we can do this and that and this and this and that. Here's another learn to learn tactic. If there's something that you want to know about, you just call up somebody who knows how to do it. And with these companies, because I am who I am, I only use this, you know, I only use my celebrity when I have to get in the boardroom. And what they didn't realize is while they were pitching me, they were teaching me. I know exactly what a hedge fund was after that, right? And that's what I do. And it wasn't for me, but if there's something you do that doesn't turn out the way you want it, you gotta look at it as, well, what did you get out of it? I got a financial education, so that's collateral sprinkles, right? Sprinkles. And, um, (laughs) hey man, 2000, I didn't know what they were talking about on CNBC. You're 2002, I know everything. Right. So that just leads me to just keep hustling. There was one book I read like run your life like a corporation. I was like, cool. Well, how do I do that? Well, first thing, get your credit right. You can't get nothing because your credit's messed up. Okay, what kind of company are you going to be? Well, LLC, S-Corp, C-Corp, not no LLCs, C-Corp. Why? Well, because you get a lot of tax breaks. You just got to figure them out. Right. And if your regular credit is good, you can get corporate credit. What? You know, just all these little things that helped me along during a time that was kind of traumatic, right? Yeah. And that development just grew and grew and grew. All the while, I have never stopped being a connoisseur of hip hop or any type of music because I'm a first and foremost forever, I am a DJ. We love that. I will always be a DJ. So therefore going back to what we started off with, when you talk about albums and when you talk about alternative you know, music or whatever, I've listened to all of it, right? And when it comes to albums, those albums are, I don't want to say soundtracks to our lives because that's what everybody else says, but you remember where you were at when you sat and you listened to Run DMC's second album when me and Steve were sitting in his VW Bug in a snowstorm outside <laughs> with the with the heat coming off the exhaust and the bug, listening <laughs> to run DMC going, Good God, what is this? King <laughs> of Rock. Right? That was it. I remember we did the same thing with LL Cool J. You know what I mean? That those those two, King of Rock and then uh LL LL's first album was kind radio. of yeah, Radio. Yeah, radio. Radio was just, oh my God. Yeah. So after that, really didn't listen to albums anymore. Didn't really listen to whole albums, right? You had good albums, but of course the chronic, right? Because the chronic, you know, to me, a good album as a DJ, you play every song off the album. Those are albums that you can play every song off the album in a different way, or at least seven in rotation all the time. Really my number one album of all time for me, right? And this might be weird, but it's Young Jeezy, Duck Motivation 101. Really? One I have not heard. Because in Atlanta at that time... It was raw, it was real, and his analogies, his metaphors, and his story of rags to riches, everybody watched it. And the fever that it bought to the Southeast and it bought to that type of music, that trap music. I had never seen anything like it as a DJ. So that for me is is it. Now if I had lived in New York, it'd probably be different. But I live down South, and that, that's the album I still listen to today, faithfully. And I don't even know why it just, I can't. That's the only thing I listen. I don't even listen to music anymore. After I retired from DJing in 2015, I don't even listen to music because I don't have to. Back then it was a necessity, yeah. right? And if I'm going to be a DJ, I got to listen to everything. I've got to find morsels in the deep depths of any city because here was my method. In every city, I would look at radio playlists because you get every radio chart in the country all access. That's what it's called. and I have a subscription, all access. I will go all the way down to the bottom and I will find the records that I didn't recognize because in every city, there's somebody in the hood that made a record that is gaining steam and becoming popular. And I would just go find that record, pull it. And then I'd have it in my, my, my crate. And then I would play it. And then when people would come from other cities and they come to a club that I was at, they were blown away because they could not believe that the record that they've heard in their hood from far far away was being played in the metropolis of Atlanta, Georgia. Yeah. That's how I DJ. And I did that with African music, soca music. I did it with house music. I did it with go-go music. I did it with all genres of music because Atlanta was a melting pot. So if I got people from DC, I've got to play go-go, right? If I've got, you know, Jamaicans from New York and all over the country, I've got to play the hottest reggae cuts. I got to know what they're playing in Kingston, Jamaica on a Friday night on the radio station. I got to know what they're playing What's in the clubs doing? in Kingston. Right. So this attention to detail, I know nobody else did. Right. That's why I was a successful DJ, because I might not have to cut and scratching like everybody else. But it wasn't about that for me. It was about making the night a roller coaster. Like a simple roller coaster, nothing with yeah. no swoops and swirls, just a roller coaster yeah. levels, <laughs> and then end with a big one. And now the, you're exhilarated at the end, and you're ready for more when you come next weekend. Because you're pulling all these disparate pieces together, and and, and I'm not playing the same line. thing over and over again. I'm not playing my greatest hits and my hot five over yeah. and over. Yeah. I make them wait. But if you're making them wait, and you make them fiend, you got to play stuff that other people like, so everybody's satisfied because. They don't remember the beginning. They remember the end. Right. You know what I mean? And that's that's how I live life. That's how I do our shows. That's how I concoct everything that I do. That has always been my method. And I continue to flourish with other methods. You know, I think it was around, once I get my corporation going, I'm like DJing at this club, dealing with this, this legal battle. You know, we're doing shows like halftime NBA shows. We're doing um, NFL halftime shows and we do an occasional show here and there, but the, N- the NBA shows were very lucrative, so that sustained, plus we do get a portion of royalties, right, just not everything we're supposed to get. Yeah, We were able to sustain you know, a steady life, but you gotta supplement it, and that's what, but I went back to DJing because I love DJing, and it's easy, so listen to this one book, and this uh, guy was like, I wanna start a pie company, and he goes and he works at a pie company for six months, quits opens his own pie company or pie store. Then he turns it into a pie company. Then he franchises it. Then he sells it for $20 million. And he called his method getting in the corridor. And I said, well, I'm at this club. Let me get in the corridor. What can I do? Why don't you be the whole marketing manager for the whole club? Because I've already made myself invaluable because I'm not your DJ. I'm your DJ. I'm your sound guy. I am your light tech. I am your graphics artist. Your commodities broker. Yeah, yeah, I do every I do I do your um, television commercials, I do your radio. I do ten things where you would have to hire somebody else individually to do all ten in one dude. So I said, let me put together a business plan to show her how I can increase her bottom line. And I did that. And that was my educational learning how to put together a business plan, which was probably one of the hardest things I ever had to do. Cause you can't just make that up. And I remember I got a projector. And I got a uh, screen, and I sat there in that office and gave that presentation, and she cut me a check for twenty five thousand dollars. I was like, "Whoa, <laughs> like you' the man. It just goes to show that you make yourself invaluable in any situation. So if you got a job that you don't like or you feel that you're not being able to go up the ladder, you better learn how to do everybody else's job. Don't sit there and be bitter about it. Learn everybody else's job. Learn what Sally do, learn what Henry do, learn what the boss do, learn what the supervisor does, learn what the janitor does, because if somebody shows up sick to work one day, or doesn't show up sick to work one day, hey, I got you, you do enough of that, you just made yourself invaluable. And when you do that, you still might get fired because it might be a situation where the company goes bad, but at least you did that for you, so your transition to the next big thing is easier. Learn how to learn, right? These are all tactics from my DJ booth. You know what I mean? Everything goes back to the essence of me being a DJ and loving hip hop from the beginning. So it's kind of like the whole thing of, you know,
3: if the the, the way you do one thing is how you do all things and the way you attack DJing
2: is what took you to all these other levels with all these other, I guess, aspects of your life and job. I'm educated in every genre of music and then I become masterful in my expertise at every other genre of music. Therefore... I know what I'm hearing. I know what I'm looking for. I know what I'm trying to do. And then I can create after that. And nobody can do it because it is all custom to me because I put in the work. I did the extra. I figured out a way to figure this out. And that's what I've been doing. And that's why I DJ so long because I got complacent. (laughs) Right. But at the (laughs) same time, I knew DJing would end one day because I didn't want to be a 50 year old DJ. I didn't. For me, that was sacrilege. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, uh. Even though I love DJing, but then the paradigm shifted. People didn't dance on the dance floor no more. So I'm still DJing in a strip club. But even then, that changed because everybody is just different now. It's nobody's fault, right? Everybody, People ask me all the time, what you think about this new generation's hip-hop? Like, I don't. Neither should you because it's theirs. Let them do what they want to with it. I have these uh, debates with old school heads all the time. They're like, man, don't you hate what they're doing to hip-hop? Don't you wish we can go back to the 9 i I'm like, no, that was our time. This hey, is hey. their time. I said, all you're doing is looking old and bitter. Notice how I say old and bitter a lot? Because that's two choices. <laughs> you can either adapt or you could be old and bitter. That's only, Those are the only options you have, right? Yeah, yeah. And man, they should pay homage to us. They should pay homage to us and they should give us, I'm like, first of all, they probably don't even know what pay homage means, nor would they know how to get in touch with us to pay homage, nor should they have to, nor why would they? I said, yeah. okay. Let me ask you this: back in the '90s, were we paying homage to Chubby Checker and Fast Domino and you know Otis Redding? No, because we did hip hop. It was your own thing. Yeah, it was, our, it was our own thing. And I'm sure there were a couple people that hated what we did. You know, that's why you got pastors, ro- you know, rolling over rap CDs with with uh, steamrollers, mm-hmm. right? What What is that? You forgot about that? Hip hop is for everybody. Nobody has a patent on hip hop, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And even the people who can say can actually say they do, understand that these kids is making money doing what they do. And it might be a little bit of that, that everybody used to make the money that they're making now, but I'm like, it's a different time. Yeah. We dealt with physical pieces. I like well, the physical pieces, because now, that means something. That when you say you can sell seven million records, that means you sold seven million pieces, people had to go out and buy it, physically, right? And it had to keep evolving and keep changing. I mean, now hip hop
0: has been a pretty dominant force in pop culture for 40 years, which is
2: amazing. I mean, just like rock and roll, it had to continue to grow. Exactly. And think about it. Rock and roll is only three decades earlier than hip hop, Mm -hmm. the 50s to the the 80s. Yeah. Right. So that is a whole nother thing. But why are we talking about that as opposed to, (laughs) hey, y'all do your thing and. You know they come and ask me all the time, DC. What I got? You know what I got to do? What I got to do? Old school, OG. I'm like, hey man, if you want my help, I got a book or this video. Read it or look at this video and hit me back, and then I'll tell you. I'll give you the game because I gotta know if they're worth wasting my time. 98% of the people never call me back because everybody wants to be a star. Instant gratification. They don't want to put the 10 years work that you put in. But see, the instant gratification, the people will say, don't you hate these kids, these young kids? They just want instant gratification. And I was like, shit. <laughs> All you old people want it too. <laughs> everybody wants instant <laughs> gratification. That's not amen, mutually amen. exclusive to young people, right? This is one cat. His name's Cordell. He's an Army veteran. Came back from Afghanistan. He raps. When you talk about gangster rap, he's rapping about what be happening in that foxhole. Ooh. He reached out to me. I told him what he had to do, and he did it. And he was like, I don't kinda understand why, I understand, but I, I'm, I'm trying to see how it correlates. What you tell, what you, what I just read. And I told him, cause I know he read it. And as I explained it to him, he was like, okay, but I still kinda don't get why you want me to do this. And I was like, the reason I made you go through that is because I'm giving you the back end first. So now I'm fully confident that you'll never be taken advantage of in the music industry like I was. The front ends, the girls, the money, the cars, the clothes, all that stuff. The back end is when it all fades, what do you have? If you don't have no money and you got your rights, well, you basically got money because now you can sync that one song that you wrote off of for all for those couple of years. Now you can sync that song forever. That becomes a pension plan. Yeah. They don't want to hear that. Right. Because they want it now. And they, hey, if somebody had told me that back in the day, I still would have made the same mistake because I, I I wouldn't have cared. But I would appreciate that somebody had the wherewithal to tell me. And it's how you tell people. Yeah, This is why I love doing these podcasts. You guys asked me at the beginning, how did we get to talk to you? Because I ain't no star. I'm DC, period. And that's enough, man. We appreciate that. Let me tell you, last night I was in Dallas, Texas in a hotel with thousands of people. And no one knew who I was. I'm on TV every day, dang near. I, <laughs> most of those people in that room love me, but didn't even know that I was in their presence because of how I carry myself. I don't look like a star dressed plain. You know, it's almost like the billionaire who still drives a pickup truck, Yeah, right? Nobody, you would not know who he is because of what he drives, right? And that is how I, I've, I've been able to live a full life, go where I want to go, do what I want to do, not get recognized but if I wanna, if I wanted to be recognized in that thousands of people, all I had to do was go sprinkles,
1: <laughs> and or somebody would have been
2: like, "No, <laughs> it's you." I've done it before, yeah. and it just spreads. <laughs> now I'm sitting there taking pictures and signing autographs for hours, right? Because I can't say no to anybody when it comes to that, unless I'm, you know, unless I gotta go somewhere. But I would never put myself in that position if I couldn't do it. Yeah, rare that I do it. So. I tell young cats, there's so many different ways for you to be successful in the music industry. If you just don't try to be a star, but that's like, can't tell people that because that's what it's about. That's what it was about for me. I I lived all my life wanting to be a rock star. You you grow up looking at Run DMC and LL Cool J and Houdini and all those guys. Oh my gosh, I want that. I want that bad. Everyone wants that. DC, I am a GEICO
3: customer. And so with your scoop, there it is. How did that happen? And now you're touching like a whole new generation of kids. There's little kids now listening to your song that came
2: out 28, 29 years ago. What is that like? Actually, there's a great story in that. See, kids have been listening to "Whoop There It Is for 28 years. This is kind of what started my voiceover career. I'm in the bowels of Disney in 1995 teaching Mickey Mouse and Minnie Mouse how to rap. Yeah. And they're talking to me about voiceover, right? And I'm in the bowels of Disney teaching Mickey Mouse and Minnie Mouse <laughs> how to rap. Cause we did a Disney record, right? Mm-hmm. Called Whoop There It Went. Whoop There It Went. I showed my daughter that video last and night. it's cringeworthy, right? <laughs> but for 10 years, kids listened to that record so they knew what the song was, right? Because it was on that compilation. Then here come, in the 2000s, here comes Kids Bop. Same thing. They made a video to it. Now you got kids in elementary school and preschool. Preschool, they use it to let them dance for it and just to wear them out so they go to nap time. In (laughs) kindergarten to third, they use it if they've been good so they can party on Friday, on the weekends. Just what the song was designed to do. (laughs) Right? Yeah. And they did this for years. after That was Gold Noodles. Same concept. So all these rec- all these entities of womb there it is for kids basically the jock jams of the whole twenty eight years. That's why when that Geico commercial came out, you've got a father looking at the commercial like wow, and you got his son looking at the commercial, and the son looks like, what you know about this, and the father's like what you know about this <laughs> because those seeds have been laid for twenty eight years. And you ask me how it happened. Fast forward two thousand eleven, I get a call from the New York Times. A reporter, DC. Have you heard the? Have you read the Gawker article? And I'm like, no. The world thinks Barack Obama was in your video. They took a frame, and it looks exactly like Barack Obama. Wow. And everybody said that's when she gave everybody my number. Everybody started calling. I'm doing uh, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, ABC, NBC, CNN, Stephen Colbert's show, Good Morning, America, everything, the whole gamut for a week. And I was so upset and disappointed because at the end of that week or two weeks, I had no money in my pocket. I didn't take advantage of that. That's that's one of them traumatic incidents where I'm like, that'll never happen again. Because that happens every couple years. That'll never happen again. And that's what started my SEO career. Search engine optimization. The ability to get on the first page of Google so people can find you and see you. We had no web presence. And back then, you type in tag team, it was all wrestling, <laughs> mm-hmm. everything. We were in a little bitty square in a corner. You type in tag team today, it is all tag team because it took me 10 years to master SEO. And now I'm so masterful with it because I learned what they know. Then I got creative, now it's custom to me. Now my mentors are looking at me like, man, I never thought of doing it like that. And then I get a call September 2020 from our acting agent. DC, you just booked a Geico commercial. I'm like, Lena, don't play with me. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even audition for a Geico commercial. We in a pandemic everything. That's not funny. She's like, DC, no. They wanted tag team. I was like, oh, tag team. I go check the tag team line. Oh, there is a message. Geico called. I want you in the commercial. Because I could be found when 10 years before I couldn't. Mm -hmm. Geico didn't wait for me to call back. They went to my IMDb portal, found my agent's number, called my agent. Now Synergy is out of bounds because my agent does this every day. I with the biggest agency in the Southeast for voiceover and acting. They make the deal, and today it is the biggest deal I have ever inked in my life and the most lucrative deal I have ever made in my life. Congratulations. And now we are ready to start working on this Geico commercial, which in the beginning was called Soup, there it is. And I'm like, man. But as an actor, I prepare. As a life, a life person, a life connoisseur, I prepare for everything. So, I said, all right, let me flip through these uh, Seinfeld episodes and find the soup Nazi episode <laughs> so I can get some ideas. And they're like, nah, we're gonna do, we're gonna do a uh, scoop ice cream. And I was like, oh, that's perfect, genius. Because my father used to make ice cream for us when we were kids, and you know, he put the eggs, the sugar, and the vanilla. And uh, the milk together, and then me and my brother would get the cylinder with the ice around with the rock salt, and he poured in, and then we turned the churn. We yeah, had one of my old school ones back in the day till we got an electric one. And then twenty minutes later, two kids got ice cream out the cylinder. <laughs> I wanted to bring that essence to that commercial. I used to work at a place called Dolly Madison Ice Cream when I was like fourteen years old, so I know ice cream inside out. And I was like, all these experiences, I want to go into this with ten things that I can do because I prepare and the night before I go to the director and the producer at our fitting and I'm like yo I got some ideas they're like whatever you want to do DC I was like well I was trying to get a spinning scoop done but couldn't get it made it's like it'll be done tomorrow I'm like whoa it's like well I know kids wow. love sprinkles so I got these sprinkle things when like like salt bay was hot then you know just LeBron James powder throw all that stuff I want to do that but do it with sprinkles DC will have a truckload of sprinkles there for you and Everything I wanted they did we could have they could have shot five Geico commercials with it show up the next day we had a ball everybody did their thing they cast it perfectly and then we waited and I'm still preparing because I'm like, okay when people get it when, when you get a Geico commercial that is a career reinvigorator I will call it that it is a career reinvigorator even artists who've been touring for years and are still big artists would love to do a Geico commercial because they know what it does for your career. Salt and Pepper were kind of dormant in 2014 till the Geico commercial came around, their Geico commercial came around, and then now they've been they've been touring to the pandemic. Mm-hmm. But we can't tour because we're in a pandemic. I took it upon myself to become my own publicist because I tried to become a publicist. I mean, I didn't try to become a publicist, but I got with my agents and I was like, I need a publicist to blow up acting, And voiceover, so that's what I'll do. And none of them wanted to work with me. Well, we're inside, we're not working, we're not at the office, we usually do a junking. They gave me every reason why they couldn't instead of one reason why they should. I said, I'm gonna be my own damn publicist. is another hustle, learn how to learn tactic. I joined a corporation, not a corporation, but association, uh, organization, society, right? And organization is filled with people who love their profession. Right, 10 they've been doing it 10, 20, 30, 40 years. So I joined an organization called Public Relations Society of America, two days in, I'm on this Zoom call with the CEO of this big PR firm. I ask a question, our press release is relevant. They're like, well, what's it for? I'm like, well, I'm featured in a national Geico commercial called Scoop, there it is. And I just look at the chat, the chat is like, wait a minute, that can't be him. What is he doing here? Oh my God, I love that commercial. Great commercial, dude. My daughter loves that commercial. It just blew up the entire chat. Now that whole chat, that was supposed to be information for everybody else who's into PR is about DC. Wow. Now that's PR. That's PR. And the moderator was like, DC, welcome to the organization. But back to his question, are press releases relevant in this day and age? And the CEO was like, yes, because the whole last year, Every news story has been about COVID. Every story has been about politics. Every story has been doom and gloom. And then here you guys come dancing, throwing sprinkles, spinning scoops, and DC your smiles. Like, of course that press release is going to work. And you're going to go here for all of the journalists. You're going to go here for all of the TV talk shows. You're going to go here for all of the podcasts. You're going to make sure your pitches are tight. And she gave me the entire breadth of her professional experience in 10 minutes. And it changed my life forever and has opened doors for me that I never thought possible and is the reason that you and I are talking right now. Because you asked me at the beginning, how are we even talking to each other? That's why. Because I didn't give up, I kept pressing, I play offense, learned how to learn. Now I'm my own damn publicist. And what's the name of your book? I'm ready to go online and get it right now.
1: Now.
2: (laughs) Or your video. December 26th, midnight, Christmas night, worldwide YouTube campaign. I just type in YouTube. Now I'm splattered on the first. I'm the big giant mural on YouTube worldwide. Tag team. Helps with dinner. My phone hasn't stopped ringing since. And to show you that, I knew press releases worked but I just wanted to ask the question. I'm there, let me ask the question. That's the only question I really had. And the next day, we did that on a Wednesday. The next day, Dan Patrick's show calls me. We gotta have you guys on Super Bowl Friday. This is the week of the Super Bowl. And Friday, I'm on national TV, throwing out the things that I want and desire, and talking to Dan Patrick about strip clubs and Geico. (laughs) Right, and about a week after, I'm on a Tamron Hall show, Daytime ABC. Now, everybody's mama's calling me, talking about, I just saw you on camera Hall, because it's daytime, and old folks just watch TV all day. <laughs> yep. I got one of those. Yep. So, it's like, <laughs> every time I can get a headline, that makes sense. Like, the next one was, Tag Team Continues to Inspire as Grand Marshals of the NASCAR Talladega 500. We were the Grand Marshals, of the, and nobody really knew, because NASCAR's a whole different thing, right? Right. But then we did WWE, right? We did wrestling, I did a press release for that. I did, every time we get a headline, you do a press release, but I don't do a press release for press. A press release is a Trojan horse for me. What I'm trying to do, what my dreams are, what my goals are, what movies I'm in, what radio, what a voiceover I've done, what I'm doing, what I want, what I need, who I'm looking for, who I'm looking to get in front of. Because they take it for the headline and they put it on everything. Every time I do that, that's, you know, it, it drops everywhere. So I've learned how to do this in a different way and it's custom to me and now I flourish, right? And I love acting, I love voiceover, I love everything I do and I've been preparing for all of it for a long time because I always wanna do little things and big things. My acting agents, they're like, DC, what do you want? I was like, I'm good. They're like, what do you want DC? What kind of roles you want? I'm like, I'm cool, you guys do a good job. DC, what is your bucket list? Oh, hmm, that's a different question. Yeah. I wanna be in the Mandalorian. Everything Star Wars universe, live action or animation. They're like, okay, and since we're in Atlanta, I'm I'm gonna be in all the Marvel movies, okay? Get me five lines with the rock in a movie (laughs) and I'll do the rest. I want little parts in big movies. And that's just how I'm running because then I get a variety of things to do that makes life fun. And then you can prepare incrementally for all of them because they used to tell me back in the day when I was young, you're a jack of all trades, master of none. I'm like, yeah, but if you live long enough, hustle hard enough and learn how to learn. You become masterful at all of those trades and they all come back to serve you in ways where you're basically ambidextrous. There's nothing that throws you because what Hustle might have been meant for something else, has seasoned itself to or, or lend expertise to solve 14 different things because you didn't give up and you kept pressing. Right. So that's where I'm at right now. And we just did our second Geico commercial. Geico gave us an ice cream. Hey, <laughs> tag team ice cream. I was going to ask you if that was in the works. Hey, man, we just did. I'll we did a sweepstakes it. where people can win it. And it was so popular, we got to get it in the stores now. Right. And that right there, Gakko ain't never done that. Gacko ain't never let no rapper have two commercials. See, it goes back to when you get an opportunity, you have to let people know that they picked the right one. If I walk into this and be like, okay, what we doing? And we just do a commercial? Yeah, we see what those look like. They're commercials, but are they commercials? Yeah. When you prepare and give everything you've got, now you get people telling you, man, that's the greatest commercial of all time. That's my favorite commercial. That's this. That's that. I don't say that because, I, I mean, I get emails every day of what this commercial means to people. Yeah. What this pers- commercial means to people who are going through hard times, people who are about to die, people who got cancer. And every time they see this commercial, it brings a smile to their face and makes their life a little bit easier. And that's what we need right now more than anything. And it's become a cultural touchstone. I've been blessed with the ability to do that. And I'm about, I'm I'm gonna ride it till the wheels fall off. I've got five things I want to talk to y'all about, but I can't because I'm under NDAs. I am about to do things that I never thought I could do. But because when I want to learn something, I learn it. Hey, it's going down. And the future is always going to be bright. And it all goes back to hip hop. It all goes back to the beginning. Excellent. In the beginning of hip hop, there was one question. Can you rock a party? Can you move a crowd? And that's how I live my life, right? If I can't keep the dance floor packed, what am I doing? And you have done that for many years. So bless you, DC. Yeah, man. It's all about reinvention. We re- I've reinvented our show. We've reinvented all kinds of things. Because now you have the tools. You have what they don't have. With these young kids, you got what these young kids don't got. That's why I just get irritated when people be old and bitter and hating on young folks. Like, you'd realize that we have something they'll never have. We've got experience, right? And you put experience with the knowledge that you keep acquiring over the years. Man, there's nothing you can't do. And that's what I tell people. That's my message. So I appreciate y'all having me on here today because... Y'all made me better just by letting me run my mouth. That's great. Thanks, man. No, I could listen to you all day. Yeah, I know. DC, you are the official
3: mentor of the Only Three Lads podcast now. And (laughs) I think your book should be called Learn How
2: to Learn or Can You Rock a Party? Can You Move a Crowd? It's simple when you break it down. But, you know, once you figure out what you want to do, then you got to put in the work yeah a lot of people can't go there so a lot of
3: people have the ideas it's the execution that gets
2: bumpy and it's like too hard let's do something else exactly but hey man i got these people buzzing me trying to make a deal i think i have to go y'all got what y'all need okay man no that's yeah that's we are great. good
0: we're gonna uh carry on and talk about our top five rap and hip-hop albums
2: if you need anything else man just hit me up let me know all right we really appreciate you Take care, man. Thank you for having me. I'm looking for your book, DC. (laughs) You funny. (laughs) The theme music is
0: Frequency, written and performed by yours truly, Brett Vargo. Any other music in this episode is presented solely for purposes of review, examination, and news reporting. If you like what you hear, go to your record store and pick up the LP, CD, cassette, or 8-track, or stream it if you're one of those newfangled fancy pants. If we're lucky enough to still have these artists with us, go out and see some live music. For the latest updates, join the O3L community at facebook.com slash only3lads. We want to hear from you. And while you're at it, click on the Shop Now link for the coolest threads. Until next time, thanks for listening.
1: What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house? The happy family? The money? 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Were they shot? Were they shot? Would you kill? Yes. <laughs> My mom is dead. My right there. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new True Crime History Podcast.